Good morning. <clears throat> Perhaps as you were coming in, uh, some of the ushers may have given you some handouts. Any good uh, teacher is always reluctant to give these to you because now you're just going to look at that and not listen to me. Um, but So I would ask you to fold it, put it away, take it home and look at it. I just find that these are some uh, helpful charts to help you understand the book of Micah. We're going to be looking at the book of Micah this morning. Okay, uh, One of the minor prophets, uh, one of your pages you'll see has two, two charts, kind of outlines, breaks down the, uh, the book for you. I thought it was helpful in understanding it. And then the other one that you have is the rulers and prophets of Micah's time. And that's always important too when you're studying. Uh, we're going to be looking at how, you know, for example, Micah was a contemporary of Hosea and Isaiah. Okay, and so it's always good to look at those books too when you're, when you're looking at these things. But uh, plus it's just fun to see who was reigning during their times when they were prophets and things like that. So those are yours. You don't need to look at them this morning. You can look at them on your own time. Uh, turn with me, please, to the book of Micah. Of all the minor prophets, Micah is actually the fourth largest. The fourth largest. We have seven chapters in the book of Micah. Um, we're going to read just a few portions here, and we'll look at some others as well. But uh, Micah chapter 2, <clears throat> look at verse 7, Micah 2 verse 7, says, You who are named the house of Jacob, is the Spirit of the Lord restricted? Are these his doings? Do not my words do good to him who walks uprightly. Look at Micah chapter 6, verse 8, which I think is really the theme verse of this book. And it's one that we kind of touched on last summer for a few weeks. But Micah 6, verse 8 says, He has shown you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? But to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. And then if you look at the last three verses of this prophet here, this this book, chapter 7, beginning in verse 18. Who is a God like you, parting iniquity, passing over the transgression of the remnant of his heritage, He does not retain his anger forever because he delights in mercy. He will again have compassion on us and he will subdue our iniquities. You will cast all our sins into the depths of the sea. You will give truth to Jacob and mercy to Abraham, which you have sworn to our fathers from days of old. The Lord will bless the reading of his word again this morning. Uh, Let's just open in prayer. Our Father in heaven, thanks again for your word. I'm just so grateful how your word endures forever. That your word is practical uh, in every season, every age. Um, that all scripture is profitable for, for doctrine and for reproof and for instruction and righteousness. 
And so I would just ask that we might be able to um, gain some knowledge and some, just some practical uh, advice here uh, from the book of Micah. Lord God, I just pray that you would um, help us to listen to the voice of God this morning, we pray. We ask this, that your Son may be glorified in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay. So we have the the book of Micah here. And it's important anytime you're going into this book here to understand a little bit of the background. At this point, uh, by the 8th century B.C., 8th century B.C., uh, the agricultural economy that they were used to there, that agricultural system in Israel and in Judah, and again, um, just real quick to let you know, is that this is at a time where the kingdom is divided, right? You have the northern tribes that went up north, and that's the nation of Israel, and then you have the two tribes to the south, and that's the nation of Judah. And we have the two capitals of Samaria and Jerusalem. All these will be mentioned uh, in this book. Okay? But at this time, uh, by the 8th century B.C., that old agricultural system uh, between Israel and Judah, with its fairly even distribution of wealth, okay, uh, has gradually been replaced now uh, by greed, by materialism, and a harsh society now that has split the people into the haves and the have-nots. The rich landowners, they keep getting richer. And those poor farmers, they just keep getting poor. In fact, at this point in their history, many of these farmers have migrated now to cities where... um, these cities are characterized by poverty. Uh, they're characterized by a moral weakness. Of course, alongside the, the idea of the upper class's luxury, right, and their cruelty to the poor. These are the people of God. This is the Jews, the nation of Israel and of Judah. This is what characterizes them at this time um, in the 8th century B.C. Not only that, but trade with Pagan nations also has brought in now false religious cults and again more lower morals. Um, in short, <laughs> things were much like Christendom in the Western world today. <laughs> it's amazing to me when we study these minor prophets how applicable they are to today. It's amazing to me. Um, this here written 700 years before Christ was born, you know, thousands of years ago, and yet um, they're so practical. For us today. And so this is what's going on here in Israel and in Judah. Micah here, like his contemporary Isaiah, uh, he prophesies in this book about the Assyrian destruction of the northern kingdom. You'll see that in chapter 1, verse 6. He predicts what's going to happen, and it actually does. The Assyrians come in and they destroy Samaria and they take over the whole northern kingdom. He also uh, predicts uh, the invasion of Judah as well, right up to, as he says there in uh, chapter 1, verse 9, to the gate of Jerusalem. If you remember that, you can go back to Second Kings and you can look at 15 and 16 and 17 and 18. It's a great story there of Hezekiah, right? Uh, there, uh, Sennacherib is right there at the gate of Jerusalem. And Hezekiah being a good king, right, he prays to God. And God spares them. And Sacrament draws away. At that point anyway, they got right to the gate of Jerusalem. But then we see later on 
uh, in chapter 2, I believe, or chapter 3, I'm sorry, verse 12, that eventually there is the utter destruction of Jerusalem. And so Micah um, prophesies this. In fact, it's interesting that even in chapter 4, he prophesies that Babylon will be taking them away, which is very interesting because in this time period, Babylon is not even a strong empire. And yet, again, just to the accuracy of the scriptures here, Micah prophesies that they would be taken away into Babylonian uh, captivity as exiles. And that, of course, happened as well. And so he prophesies during the reigns of Jotham, Ahaz, and as I said, Hezekiah. This book has three messages, okay? each uh, beginning with the same word. And this is why, again, this is kind of uh, this journey I've been on. We looked at a couple weeks right ago about taking heed, right? Listening to the voice of God, hearing the voice of God. Each of these three messages begin with the word hear. Hear. Micah saying hear. Listen. Listen. Right? His main audience was the southern kingdom of Judah. His three messages show us that Judah, um, contrary to what they thought, was just as guilty as uh, Israel. <laughs> you know, that Judah thought that they were doing pretty well, and, and Micah's going to show them that, no, no, you guys were just as bad as those in Israel and Samaria. And though the theme um, of this book here is judgment, right? It's prominent with judgment. We're going to look at that in each of his messages. Also, the prophet stresses restoration in each of his messages. And so each one of these messages, there's going to be a theme of judgment that's prominent, as well as restoration. In fact, it's interesting, in every one of these messages, um, Micah uses the word remnant in each one. There'll always be a remnant. There'll be a small remaining of God's people who God will um, remain faithful to. And so... The first message is in chapters 1 and 2. The first message you'll see in chapter 1, verse 1, it talks about the war of the Lord that came to Micah of Moresheth. He was a coming from a rustic home, so he was not one privy to the luxuries and things like that. He knew what it was like to come from uh, from little, um, and perhaps maybe that's why God chose him. Um, But he also says here, uh, came from... Moresheth in the days of Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah, which he saw concerning Samaria and Jerusalem. But here is this first uh, message, verse 2. Hear, all you peoples, listen, O earth, and all that is in it. And what you're going to see in chapters 1 and 2 is Micah emphasizes the people's sins. That's pretty much this entire first message. In fact, out of the whole two chapters, Only two verses describe what we talked about as far as restoration. Describing that kingdom that's yet to come, which we're going to get to in a little bit. The whole two chapters, really all he's emphasizing is their sins. And their failure to take seriously God's righteous demands on their lives. They wouldn't take it seriously. And so they're... Certainly many sins uh, that are, are laid before us in this book. For time's sake, um, we're not going to be able to go into all of them. But if you look at chapter 2, and again, you're going to see this in uh, some of the other messages as well, in the second message and in the third message uh, too. But in just chapter 2 here, verse 1, it says, Woe to those who devise iniquity. 
and work out evil on their beds. At morning light, they practice it because it is in the power of their hand. One of the things that describes uh, the people of God uh, during this time when Micah prophesies to them is that there is this idea of a malevolent mindset, okay? an evil mindset. They are literally laying in bed thinking about how they can do evil to someone the next day. And when they get up, they get to it. They practice it. Okay? What a sad commentary to the people of God at this point. Right? There's an evil mindset. Right? A malevolent mindset that's going on here. People lying awake at night thinking up evil things to do the next day. Wow. But not only that, look at verse 2. We see a materialistic motivation. They are motivated by materialism. In verse 2 it says, They covet fields and they take them by violence. Also, houses and seize them. So they oppress a man and his house, a man and his inheritance. You can read in chapter 6, verses 10 to 12, and also in chapter 7, verses 3 to 6, this is what they were doing. In fact, Micah illustrates it as they're literally taking the robe right off your back. You're walking down the street and they just, they just take it off you. And so they're motivated by this materialism. They're coveting others' fields and houses and taking them simply because they wanted them. They're just taking them. And this is the kind of the big theme here uh, in Micah, is that there is a complete disregard for the rights of their fellow man. They don't care about their fellow man. They, they could care less if they're mistreated. They could care less if they're taken care of. There is complete disregard for the rights of their fellow man. And so they are not acting justly at all, and they are not loving mercy. Not only that, we see a malevolent mindset and a materialistic motivation, but we also see a mishandling of the message. A mishandling of the message. You go down just a little farther in that chapter, we have the false prophets. And look what they say to Micah, verse 6 of chapter 2. Do not prattle, you say to those who prophesy. So they shall not prophesy to you. They shall not return insult for insult. You who are named the house of Jacob, is the Spirit of the Lord restricted? Are these his doings? Do not my words do good to him who walks uprightly? Lately, my people have risen up as an enemy. You pull off the robe with the garment from those who trust you as they pass by. Like men return from war, the women of my people you cast out. From their pleasant houses, from their children, you have taken away my glory forever. Arise and depart, for this is not your rest, because it is defiled. It shall destroy, yes, with utter destruction. If a man should walk in a false spirit and speak a lie, saying, I will prophesy to you of wine and drink, even he would be the prattler of this people. The prophets of this day, the false prophets, they are speaking only what the people want to hear. You see, destruction is coming. God's judgment is coming. 
In fact, that's kind of the theme of this first message. Judgment will come. Judgment will come. And yet, even though judgment is coming, even though because of the way God's people are acting, judgment is coming, the false prophets only want to tell them of, as he says here, wine and drink. They only want to tell the people what they want to hear. They're prophesying peace, not destruction. And in fact, in doing so, in prophesying peace rather than destruction, they're actually treating God's people as if they were the prophet's enemy. You see, by not telling the people to repent and turn to the Lord, the prophets were neglecting the only thing that could save them from the invading Assyrians. That was the only thing that could save them from destruction, was that they repented and turned to the Lord. And yet these prophets were saying, no, listen, God's not going to let that happen. Everything's fine. Hey, there's peace coming. Don't, don't listen to Micah. They're telling Micah, why do you keep talking like this? Hey, stop telling the people about this destruction. Hey, tell them what they want to hear. Tell them something nice. Right? And I thought, does that not characterize even Christendom in the Western world today as well. Nobody wants to talk about it today. Nobody wants to talk and address sin. Nobody wants to talk about the consequences of sin. Instead, you have people on TV and in other places, and they want to tell people what they want to hear so that they'll fill their seats. So that more money can come in. And here, even in Micah's day, thousands of years ago, the same thing. These false prophets, as we're going to learn, were taking advantage of the people, mistreating them. <laughs> In fact, they, they would ask them to pay them a certain amount for them to prophesy what they wanted to hear. Give us, give us whatever, and we'll, and we'll give you a prophecy. We'll tell you what you want to hear. And so we have this mishandling of the message. Brothers and sisters, may we not mishandle the message today. There is good news of Jesus Christ, Right? The good news is that Jesus Christ, right, came to save us from judgment. The world needs to know that judgment is coming. We can't go around telling the world that, listen, everything's going to be fine. (laughs) Because then we will be mishandling the message that God gave us. Just as these false prophets did so long ago. And in fact, if, if... We are not telling people that they need to repent and turn, right, to the Lord. Then as with here, that means that you are not going to save them from becoming destruction. We cannot mishandle the message. You know, they, as I said here in verse 6, they tell Micah not to prophesy. They tell him to be quiet, right? You see, these false prophets were forgetting that a father often shows his love for his children by disciplining them. We all know that. Any one of us parents who let our children do what they want to do, we really don't love them. A parent who loves their child will discipline them because we want them to be safe, because we want them to learn how to live a disciplined life. But if you don't care about your children, you'll let them do whatever you want. And so these false prophets forgot that a father often shows his love by disciplining them. And of course, I love Micah's answer. That's why we read this this morning to begin. You know, when he says in verse 7, You 
who are named the house of Jacob? Is the spirit of the Lord restricted? Are these his doings? Do not my words do good to him who walks uprightly? Listen, Micah's words were not, uh, by any means, happy words, not encouraging words. It was judgment is coming. But he understood, right? He understood that they still do good, right? For those uh, who walk uprightly. You see, God accurately judges human behavior. God will always accurately judge human behavior. And he blesses those whose ways are righteous. God wants to bless those whose ways are righteous. And so Micah uh, is accurate in his, his message here. So this first message really is that judgment will follow. Judgment will follow. We'll see, we see the sins of, of the people that are going on and even the false prophets at this time as well. But the neat thing is that when you get to chapter 3, chapters 3, 4, and 5, we have another message. And again, you'll see in chapter 3, it begins with, And I said, Hear now, O heads of Jacob, and you rulers of the house of Israel. Is it not for you to know justice? Here, we have uh, this second message, and the emphasis is different here. You see, two of these three chapters, chapters 4 and in chapter 5, discuss God's blessing on Israel and on Judah. As is throughout Scripture, God's plans for the future are given not simply to inform people of what will occur, but also, and I think and more so, to motivate people to change their lives on the basis of God's plans for them. This second message that God gives to Micah to give to the people, he's going to talk about plans that God has for the future. It's a plan of blessing Israel. Blessing Judah. Why does God want to let them know that? Just so that they can plan for that? No, it's to motivate them. It's to motivate them to change their lives. Is there not a message today for us too of our future? Right? Do we know what's coming? I hope we do. We know that, listen, there's coming a time where we will be raptured. There's coming a time where we will be able to reign on this earth during his millennial kingdom. We'll be able to enjoy an eternal state with him forever. Doesn't that motivate you to live a certain way now? It should. It should. We don't, we don't study uh, eschatology there, the study of future events, just so that we can be informed about it. We study and we teach it because hopefully it should motivate us to live differently. To change our behavior. To change our lives on the basis of God's plans for us. And so here we have in this second message that blessing will follow judgment. Blessing will follow judgment. Judgment will come. For Israel and for Judah, judgment was coming. It was inevitable. It was coming. But here, Micah's message changed. The emphasis more on, hey, listen, yes, there's judgment. And you'll see that in chapter 3 here. Okay? But blessing will follow judgment. Chapters 4 and 5 deal with God's plans for the future. And so one of the beautiful things about this book is we see a great um, description of that millennial kingdom, right? We see the glory of Christ's millennial reign. And so what I'd like to do, if we can, quickly, if you look at chapter 4, again, there's other portions here. Chapter 2, verses 12 to 13, and then also later on the third message as well. But right here in chapter 4, in these first eight verses here, 
we see the characteristics of this kingdom. And again, I would encourage you as we look at this, and what I want to do is I want to look at the characteristics of this kingdom in contrast to what the kingdom was like during this day that we're reading this. It's amazing what the contrast is between God's kingdom that is to come and His kingdom when Micah has to write this book. Stark contrast between the two. But again, I don't want to do this just to inform us of what's going to happen to us in the future or what's going to happen to Israel and Judah in the future. I want us, as we look at this, I want these things to motivate us to change our lives. Can we do that? Let's look at chapter 4, verse 1. It says, And now it shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established on the top of the mountains and shall be exalted above the hills and people shall flow to it. (laughs) The millennial temple. There will be a temple in this kingdom and it will be prominent in the world. Peoples of the world, all peoples will be attracted to Jerusalem from everywhere. And the temple site will be the center of the millennial government. This temple will be the place where Christ will rule. That's coming. This is one of the characteristics of this kingdom, is this millennial temple that will be there for everyone to see. It will be prominent. It will be what Christ will rule. It will be the center of the government. What a stark contrast, right? In Micah chapter 3, verse 12, it says, Therefore, because of you, Zion, and Zion we know is synonymous with the city of David, right? Zion shall be plowed like a field. Jerusalem shall become heaps of ruins. And the mountain of the temple, like the bare hills of the forest. It hadn't quite happened yet, but it was going to happen very shortly. What a contrast, right? Just the desolate condition of Jerusalem and what it will be one day again, this millennial temple. But look at verse 2. It says, Many nations shall come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob. He will teach us His ways, and we shall walk in His paths. For out of Zion the law shall go forth, and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. (laughs) Great. People from many nations will go to Jerusalem. And they'll go there to be taught His ways so that they may walk in His paths. That's their desire. They want to hear the teaching from Christ so that they can follow it. They can walk in His ways. In this kingdom, saved Gentiles will actually want to learn the ways of the Lord. They'll want to. What a contrast, right? Ironically, Israel is not interested in obeying the Lord. (laughs) But you're going to have saved Gentiles during this reign who they cannot wait to go up and hear the words of the Lord so that they can walk in His paths. Look at verse 3. Characteristic of this kingdom is he shall judge between many peoples and rebuke strong nations afar off. 
Isn't that amazing? As we already said, many peoples, but here he even makes a point, even strong nations. We're not just talking about, you know, some mediocre nation, some small nation. Say, yeah, you know what, let me hear what this Lord has to say. Okay? These are strong nations. They will be willing to submit to God's judgment. Micah's readers were rebelling under the word of God, not wanting to be told by him that they were wrong. What a contrast. Again, do you see how this hopefully motivates our living? What is, what is our lives like right now? Is our desire right, to hear from the Lord so that we can walk in His paths? Are we willing to submit to His judgment no matter what it is? Or are we like the Israelites who will not hear from this man? We don't want you to tell us we're wrong. We're not wrong. Not only that, but we see here, verse 3, says, They shall beat their swords into plowshares, and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. So here we have in this, a characteristic of this kingdom is that there will be peace. There will be peace. Justice and righteousness will be re- rewarded rather than scorned. That's the characteristic of this kingdom. Again, if you read in chapter 3, we read that if one did not pay the false prophets their price, they were ready to wage war against them. Verse 5 of chapter 3 says that they were opposed to them. They were ready to wage war against their own people if they didn't pay the right price. In fact, Micah likens them to a hunter who kills and eats God's people. He gets pretty graphic. Talks about skinning them and killing them. These are the prophets of God. These are the false prophets, the leaders. These are the ones who should be shepherding God's people. And instead, they're willing to wage war against God's people if they don't pay the right price. In fact, As I said, Micah compares them to hunters who kill and eat God's people. And how do they do it? Well, uh, unfair legal actions, bribery, theft, oppression, and even bloodshed. What a contrast. Where in God's kingdom one day, there will be peace. They will trade their swords in for um, plowshares, spears for pruning hooks. (laughs) They'll be able to get back to that agricultural culture that they're used to. Justice and righteousness. Not only that, in verse 4, he says, But everyone shall sit under his vine and under his fig tree, and no one shall make them afraid. The, uh, the fig tree is figurative of security. There will be security. And no one will fear losing his security for the Lord Almighty has declared that they will be secure. Again, the contrast is in Micah's day, Israel's leaders were forecasting peace for those who could pay the price. But the only way to peace and security was to submit to God and to trust Him. That's what Micah was trying to tell them. Repent, turn to God, trust Him, 
The false prophet said, no, peace, peace. We'll tell you what you want to hear if you give us the right amount. You know, when you consider these uh, Israel's leaders, you think, man, whew, it's a good thing we don't have people like that anymore. Um, but I tell you, James chapter 5, it's interesting. Not a lot of people like to speak on James chapter 5 because I'll tell you, it's, uh, it doesn't go down easy. Let's put it that way. Um, when you read this. But here, even in James's time, God's people are dealing with these kind of people. In James chapter 5, beginning of verse 1, he says, Come now, you rich, weep and howl for your miseries that are coming upon you. Your riches are corrupted. Your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver are corroded and their corrosion will be a witness against you and will eat your flesh like fire. You have heaped up treasure in the last days. Indeed, the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, they cry out. And the cries of the reapers have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. You have lived on the earth in pleasure and luxury. You have fattened your hearts as in the day of slaughter. You have condemned. You have murdered the just. He does not resist you. Whew. Man. God does not take kindly to those who rule unjustly. Whatever it may be. Maybe you have employees. Maybe you have those into your care in a church. Your family. Whoever it is. But if you mistreat them, God will not resist you. Some sobering words here. And here we see this in Micah. Israel, Israel's leaders um, typify this. And back in Micah chapter 4, Verse 5, it says that uh, for all people walk each in the name of his God, but we will walk in the name of the Lord our God forever and ever. Again, a characteristic of this kingdom is that we will walk in the name of the Lord. That means we will follow and obey his standards. The contrast here is the pagan nations in Micah's day, they walked in the name of their gods. We've talked about this before, but just to remind you again of, right, we have our own gods in our lives, right? And let's go back to those voices that we talked about, right? What voices are loud to you in your life, right? Is it God's voice or is it the voices of these gods, right, that we have in our own lives? Do we follow after them instead of following after the name of our God? In this kingdom that has come, we will walk in the name of our Lord. And then chapter 4, verses 6 and 7, it says, In that day, says the Lord, I will assemble the lame. Um, I will gather the outcasts and those whom I have afflicted. I will make the lame a remnant and the outcasts a strong nation. So the Lord will reign over them in Mount Zion from now on, even forever. The Lord will restore uh, the exiles, those who have been removed from the land. Right? The returned remnant of believing Jews, says, will become a strong nation. Again, the contrast is right here, Micah's readers, Israel was spiritually lame. 
they were going to be driven into exile. But not only that, even in their time, these false prophets, they were separating families by driving away the mothers. Taking the mothers away from their homes. What a contrast. But here, in this one, God will be bringing back. He'll be restoring um, and returning that remnant of believing Jews. And then just lastly in verse 8 here, And you, O tower of the flock, the stronghold of the daughter of Zion, to you shall it come. Even the former dominion shall come. The kingdom of the daughter of Jerusalem. Notice here it says there will be a tower of the flock. Towers in their days, usually if you were a, um, a farmer or a shepherd, you would have a tower and you would stand up on that tower so that you can look out over your, your crops or look out over your, your flock. And so here again, talking about this, this kingdom that is to come, Jerusalem will watch over all the other nations. It will be Jerusalem that looks over them. Okay? Israel will no longer be under the dom- domination of others for the times of the Gentiles will be ended. In this kingdom that is yet to come. And again, just if you look at this time here, in 722 B.C., the Assyrians were captured Samaria, just as Micah had prophesied. In 701 B.C., Sacnarib's army destroyed 46 towns in Judah. And then, of course, in 588 B.C., we have the siege and the fall of Jerusalem by the Babylonians. One day, Israel will no longer be under the domination of those. In fact, Jerusalem will watch over the nations. <laughs> Amazing. And so you have here, it's a beautiful thing here too, it's in this message, chapters 3 through 5, I think it's significant, you have two beautiful verses about the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, prophetic verses about the Lord Jesus Christ. We all know Micah chapter 5, verse 2. Right, where Micah prophesies. This is a beautiful one, right? It's probably one of the most significant prophecies of Jesus Christ's birth in all the Old Testament. Okay? Because it pointed 700 years before it happened to the actual birthplace. That it was going to be in Bethlehem. But not only that, it also talks about his eternal nature, doesn't it? You see, it says, but you, Bethlehem, Epaphratha, because there was actually two Bethlehems in that area, Though you are little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of you shall come forth to me the one to be ruler in Israel, whose goings forth are from old, from everlasting. Okay? Probably one of the most significant prophecies of Jesus Christ's birth. And then surrounding that, uh, Micah's prophecy here, in just verses 4 and 5, we see actually one of the most lucid pictures of the world's future under the reign of the Prince of Peace. And it says here in verse 5, And this one shall be peace. In verse 4 it says, And he shall stand and feed his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. And they shall abide, for now he shall be great to the ends of the earth. And so again, characterizing this kingdom that we just talked about. And again, if you look at this, this kind of theme here of this message, that there's judgment and then blessing will follow judgment. How true that was, right? The Lord Jesus Christ, we have Micah 5.2, where Jesus Christ first had to come, didn't he? So that he would take the judgment for us. The Lord Jesus Christ had to be born. 
He had to be born in a lowly place called Bethlehem. Right? He had to take the judgment that was due to us. Right? So that now we may be blessed later on. For those of us who put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, there is now no judgment for us. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. But not only that, there's a blessing to follow, isn't there? Right? This kingdom that they're describing here, we learn in the Bible that we will be a part of that. We will actually reign with Christ. Isn't that amazing? This wonderful kingdom, this millennial temple, this one that will look out over the nations, you will be a part of that. You will reign with Christ, a kingdom of priests. What a blessing. But judgment had to come first, didn't it? Right? God had to judge His Son. God could not ignore that sin happened. God couldn't pretend that it didn't happen. Just like in Micah's day, they said, Micah, stop talking about this. Micah said, no, judgment has to come. And it fell on Jesus Christ. God had to judge sin so that we could enjoy the blessing of that millennial kingdom and enjoy Him for all eternity. What a beautiful truth that we see here in Micah. We're out of time here because we have corporate prayer today. So, the third message, you're on your own. Okay? But I will encourage you with this. Much of Micah's indictment here in this prophetic book okay, uh, against Israel and against Judah involves these nations' injustice towards the lowly. They were treating the lowly harshly. right? Unjust business dealings, robbery, mistreatment of women and children, and a government that lived in luxury off the hard work of its nation's people. So you might think, John, how does that apply to me? <laughs> right? How is this book applicable to us today? Well, my question, I guess, to you before we close here is, where does the injustice dwell in your own life? I think each and every one of us have our own injustice that we need to deal with. Right? Or the other question I ask you is, who are the lowly in your life? Who are the lowly? You see, he says here in Micah chapter 6, verse 8, he says, that relationship which is good, that which is beneficial, involves being fair in our dealings with others. That's what it really means to act justly. To do justly means that we are going to be fair in our dealings with others. See, doing justice, right, is a way of loving mercy, which in turn is a manifestation of walking humbly with God. When Paul here addresses the church in Corinth, look what he says here. He's talking about, remember, if you have a matter against your brother or sister, don't bring it before the courts, right? Don't sue your brother or sister, right? You know, try to keep it in-house. But here's what he says at the end of it. It's amazing. He goes, um, he says, No, you yourselves do wrong and cheat. And you do these things to your brethren. It's in the church, brothers and sisters, too. Who are you mistreating? Who are the lowly in your life? I don't know who it is. But each and every one of us, we didn't understand that as we are part of God's kingdom now. We are part of the house of God here now. And it's so important how we treat one another. Judgment came down hard 
for God's people in Micah's day because of their maltreatment of one another. They did not treat each other well. And so for us, I think that's something to take heed as brothers and sisters in the Lord. Okay? You know, most of us, we don't decide daily to cut people down, right? Um, although in Micah's day, it seemed like they would lay at night and think about what they could do the next day. Right? But I don't think we, we necessarily decide daily to cut people down or find ways to carry out injustice. Instead, I think we do it out of habit. And again, this is one of those things that we've got to hear the voice of God in our own lives. There are some injustices that we do. There are the lowly in our lives. And I'm not saying we do it intentionally. I think we do it out of habit. And may God expose that to us. May God see that and, and that we may repent and turn from that. Allow the words of Micah to break us out of our complacency about extending justice and kindness to others and press on towards a world that better resembles the harmonious millennial kingdom to come. That's why we describe that kingdom that's yet to come. It should motivate us to change our lives now. We should be resembling that same kingdom that we're going to be a part of one day. Let's determine to live as God desires, to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with our God. Let's pray. Uh, Father, we thank you again for your word. Um, We'd ask your help for this. Lord God, uh, we thank you for giving us each other Lord God, we still look forward to that millennial kingdom where you will reign in that millennial temple. Lord God, we look forward to uh, a time where righteousness and justice will be uh, lifted up and not scorned. Um, Lord God, uh, again, may even Micah's words just uh, cut us to the heart. Um, Lord, we pray this that we may glorify you um, with our lives and and we just ask these things again um, ask that you be merciful towards us Uh, giving you thanks in jesus name amen time went a little later